Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D related. Technology trends, challenges customers face, business issues, and the opportunities around software development for the engineering, manufacturing, and AEC industries. We also discuss the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout the product's life cycle. Here on Beyond 3D, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Sylvain, thank you so much for joining us here on the Beyond 3D podcast. We're grateful to have you and, and to have uh, Eurostep as a partner and to be able to talk about a number of different things today as it pertains to building and construction and digital twins. So thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. First, could you introduce yourself a little bit of, of your journey professionally, and then also introduce Eurostep, who some of your customers are, the products that you sell, and uh, the industries you service. Sure. I am Sylvain Marie. I'm French. I'm based in, in Nantes. That's uh, near the west coast in France. And let's play it backwards. I've been uh, with Eurostep since last December. And I managed the domain for AEC and planned domain because Eurostep recently reorganized in, in not in silos, but in domains, defense manufacturing and AEC and plant. Before that, going backwards, I was involved in Binning Smart. I was working for the IFC rail project. That's the open standards to model infrastructures, linear infrastructures like rails. But of course, rails go in the country, cross roads, and go on bridges and so on. So, of course, IFC deals with a lot of ending types. That was uh, last year and the year before. Before that, I was uh, working with Katenda. Katenda is a Norwegian company, and they develop an open uh, CDE, common data environment. That's an online platform to let people work together in the building uh, construction domain as well, and using IFC files as well. Before that, I've co-founded a startup with uh, my colleague Alexandre Olmir, and we had the crazy idea of uh, mixing IFC, of course, 3D, semantics, and rezoning. So we, were, we developed a, an online platform to check, to validate, and to enhance IFC files online using uh, OWL. That, uh, that's the semantic version of the IFC. And before that, even uh, that's uh, 10 years ago now, I was working with a small software editor in France, and we were in charge of doing thermal simulations for buildings. That was the beginning of BIM, that was the old time when we were serving uh, SketchUp files instead of BIM files. And we were guessing where the rooms were, where the walls were, and where the roofs uh, were to just to tag, to add information and to conclude as a thermal simulation. And before that, I was, two, two, I was a kid, so that's fine. We'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's, that's quite a journey that's led you here now to Eurostep. So maybe could you tell us just a bit about, for those people who are not familiar with Eurostep, what it, what it is that... Eurostep um, is a European company uh, based in uh, Sweden, having an office in the UK, in uh, France, and until very recently in Finland as well. And we deliver PLM solutions. PLM is almost buzzword as BIM is, product lifecycle management. It's about dealing with the lifecycle of the information, breaking silos, linking silos. 
in different domains. In defense, we have big customers in defense in the UK, for example, in Holland as well. In manufacturing, a lot in Sweden to make sure that the information flow is not broken in the in the plants to make sure that the, all the suppliers have access to the information they need, but not anything else and so on. The newly formed division for AEC and plant has been created the last year, and we focus on digital twins, another buzzword we can continue to discuss. Yeah, thank you for that. It seems like you've been involved with IFC for, for quite some time now. Why is that important? Why do you, why do you feel like IFC is why does it matter? Yeah, IFC is interesting because it's like the north face of the mountain of information management. If you compare to aerospace or manufacturing, everything, everyone is using a closed solution. Would it be Siemens? Would it be a Dassault system? Would it be Autodesk? Construction is different. IFC stems from a step, the ISO format. It forked from a step working group and then was on its own. And we just published the latest revision uh, for X3 uh, back to ISO for comments. IFC is special because it started being a geometric exchange uh, format, but more and more it's a complete information format, including a lot of semantics. Especially the, the latest revision, revision has been in the works for eight years. The last revision was 4.0. And the, the, the project was very specific. I was, I was more involved in the rail subsection, but IFC 4.3 is really about infrastructure. And for a change, the, the new revision was not pushed by software vendors, but it was demanded by end users. And that's changed everything because the end users for IFC in the infrastructures are in charge of linear infrastructures they, they have to manage for a century. A railway, you don't build a railway for a few years. You have to maintain it in a long time. So we started by modeling the knowledge from the domain experts without using any IFC or STEP or any other technical buzzword. We remained, we forced ourselves to use their vocabulary. And we ended up having a corpus or a, a huge report explaining how they were working with a lot of BPMNs, property definitions, and so on. Then we created a team of technical experts, making the link between those domain experts and the software implementers. And this task force, I would say the technical services that we call them, were in charge of transforming the use cases and the, the real exchange requirements for, coming from the domain experts, expressing them with IFC entities or potentially new IFC entities and giving those reference files to software vendors. And then software vendors were crunching their numbers, creating uh, prototypes and so on, got back to us with the proposals. And when we sent those proposals to the domain experts and we closed the loop this way, it was a very interesting but demanding way of working because in the end, we can assure the, the, the public, the audience that the digital side of the information modeling matches what they require as exchange requirements. And it's such, that's a big difference compared to the previous revision of IFC, which was more pushed by software vendors. Working this way is already a success. The end result is we, we created a new revision of the express schema, which is the, the language used for IFC. We leverage UML, and that's a, the first in, in, in information modeling for domain experts, because not anyone was familiar with UML, of course. And we ended up, of course, with new geometry types, for example, alignments. 
you don't use the same Euclidean referential to create roads or railways. Of course, those building elements, I would say, uh, could be a few cent uh, hundreds uh, kilometers long. So we need to align them using uh, different geo geodesical uh, referentials. But that's a new IFC entity. Uh, we introduced uh, swept volumes in IFC to create bridges, of course. You have uh, two profiles and the, the bridge comes from one profile to another. We introduced uh, spatial decompositions, and that's uh, in especially important in the complex area. For example, we had the use case involving a tramway, a tram in a city center, where you have a lot of different systems, pre-existing systems, and the, the spatial decomposition is key to make sure that the IP is uh, respected and well awarded, and the responsibilities were properly cascaded from the two with the smallest elements. So that was a long journey, uh, but a successful, successful one. And one of the major outcomes is that now we have access to more than 500 properties, I think new properties, uh, properties being a, a concept. And these properties are now defined in a human-readable uh, form and a machine-readable form. And that's open new doors because you can link procurement, contracting to engineering deliverables. That's new, uh, really. Uh, all of this using open standards. So that's that's why I call it the, the the north face of the mountain because that's the the most difficult route, but that's the most that's the route which opened the, the highest number of outdoors, uh, new ways of working. But that's yeah. that's IFC. The journey is not done yet. It's still uh, open for comments at the ISO level. Right. Yeah. It seems like you've applied the software development lifecycle to developing your file format and that's fantastic. So congratulations on getting the 4X3 out, I guess, the and, and giving some very specific examples on how that's going to improve infrastructure and in, in some use cases. Where are you going next? So you have these sweat volumes and alignments, um, all these new properties. Is the journey done or did you have to tackle some new mountains? The next journey is to finally admit that BIM, so the, the infamous buzzword, which means building information, modeling, or model, or management, is actually nothing more than PLM for built assets. It's not only a vocabulary trick, it's also very meaningful when you realize that playing with BIM is actually playing with information flows and that you are your work is to make sure that you, everyone in the room has or a virtual room nowadays, uh, has the, the proper information, it's up to date, it's, it's properly shared. They do have a, a right to access information and that pure, pure old fashioned uh, PLM. And that PLM journey is not over. For me, PLM is a way to link silos or to, to, to link the different uh, conceptual models. Um, in the last years, uh, we heard a lot about uh, ontologies being a way to formalize information so that machines can reason from it. An ontology is a knowledge definition that the human can understand, but that also machine can uh, leverage. And ontologies alignment is a, a key activity for us right now, because it's a, the way for the machine to, to exchange information between different conceptual models. And, and BIM is one example of this. Uh, you, you need BIM when you have two different actors with different jobs and they need to exchange data, but they're not using the same software, they're not using the same referentials and so on. If you generalize this, that's PLM, 
And PLM is just a way of to work together, but that's pure uh, philosophy and human vocabulary. But once you to convert it into a digital age, that's about uh, ontology alignment. But that, I would say the next step is ontology alignment. And that's a long step. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of work. You know, we have these rich data formats like IFC, we have PLM systems that sit on top of it that help manage that data and, and archive and, and version and restrict access. Where do you see the real challenges right now, now that we have access to all of this data, what are some of the, the challenges that the AEC industry is currently facing that have not yet been solved that you're you're, you're kind of thinking, it may, maybe even keep you up at night or you're thinking about and trying trying to challenge the status quo with the way things are being done. I would say that the last decade has been focusing on construction projects, making sure that from the inception to the programming phase, to design, to, con to con the real construction, to final delivery of the project, the in information is standardized, is flowing well, is using well-recognized geometries and so on. It begins to work. Actually, we have some results. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the left part of the wheel. My, um, I keep thinking of how to connect this left wheel to the right wheel, which is the asset information management. Once you complete a construction project, you have an asset, a built asset. This is not static at all. This asset will maintain, um, will, uh, you will need to operate it. You will need to maintain it, to analyze, to investigate new uh, possibilities, to reverse, take for example, offices. You might, in France, for example, there is a hot topic. I, um, some empty offices need to be converted into flats and vice versa. So we need to think of ways to convert and to, to maintain the use cases, even if the, uh, the built asset doesn't change. So that's the right wheel, as I call it, the IAM, the asset information management. But the two wheels needs to be connected because every time you remodel something, every time you change something, your digital twin, your digital information model of the built asset changes. How do you make sure that this, uh, this data uh, is up to date? or that all collaborators or all third parties are aware of these changes. That's pure information management. But when you mix this a complexity of information management or knowledge-based management with the construction sites, where you have a dozen software used or very complex use cases, the BPMNs could be, uh, you could print them uh, on a wall. This is where the complexity is the problem. So that's where we need to push the limits and to to break silos again and again and again, to make sure that those two wheels, the project-based information model and the asset-based uh, information models do connect and are kept uh, up to date. That long time management, things, things in technology do change so quickly, don't they? And to follow the path of, of the built assets, you know, we have same thing in aerospace, we have airplanes that their life cycle could be 50 years. So we need to, we need to follow kind of what happens to that asset over time. And I think, I think other industries are struggling with the same thing because they, their life cycle is quite, quite long. We do have common points with aerospace, but sometimes architects remind us that every building is unique because it's, that's their ID, their, uh, their sketch. 
their expression of the beyond assets. They are true, of course, but we still need to consider the beyond asset as a product, a manufactured product, which has some history, which has some spare parts, and which will evolve. So it's a mix of culture, creation, pure creation from architects and pure engineering to make sure mm -hmm. that the built asset is well maintained. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's terrific as an activity. I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, we're seeing so much overlap between the mechanical engineering side of things and building and construction with the way in which data is being managed and the way in which it's being archived. The, the point where you, you said that IFC forked from STEP, I mean, STEP is a mechanical standard, but mm -hmm. now is being used throughout building and construction. Now, I, we're located, Techsoft and, and myself are located in the US, you're over there in Europe. There's a huge emphasis on standardization with IFC in, in Europe. How's it going in other, let's say other geos? Do you, do you see broad adoption of IFC or are there still some struggles particularly let's say in, in the US and what's going on here or what's going on in Asia because, because it is such a powerful format. We have some good news. The Building Smart chapter from the USA has been recently reformed. So that's an excellent news because Building Smart is a strong association linking different chapters in a lot of countries. But the, the strength of Building Smart is actually the number of chapters. So seeing the USA being part of the family is great. But before that, the, the BIM forum, for example, was putting the focus on the geometry level of detail. It was helpful to educate people and to explain that they don't need to exchange gazillions of megabytes of models to be understood. Sometimes a sketch would be sufficient. So they created those LOD level of details from 100 to 500. It was a good step in a good direction, but it was not sufficient because the level of details is more about the level of information need, for example. It, that matter is so, is, is so important that an ISO norm is in the works driven by Europe uh, to define what is a level information need, who needs what, when, basically. And they, they're working on, on writing specifications for that. So US is moving really fast. You have some history dealing with, with geometry, but semantics is going back very quickly in the game. We had really good progress in Asia, of course, in, in Singapore, South Korea. Japan as well is versed in, in the open BIM endeavors. So it's picking up. Of Africa is, Northern Africa is picking up. Algeria, Morocco, Egyptian, all these countries are picking up and they are skipping a few steps, actually. They're not going from geometry to closed source to, they're just adopting the latest and good for them because they're they getting up to speed uh, very quickly. So all in all, everyone is progressing and, and, uh, and IFC is more and more used uh, worldwide. The big difference between the countries is the, the level of adoption in, by the, the local authorities. Is IFC mandatory or not? In Sweden, in Norway, it is mandatory to provide an IFC model for a public contract. So that's the end of the game. You have to provide IFC, a meaningful IFC. And it's leading the way in Korea as well, in Singapore. So it leads the way for better practices and better workflows to provide a meaningful IFC because just dumping data for the sake of it is not sufficient, of course. The format and the power of the format needs to be leveraged. Yeah, I think it's fantastic too that it, it really is a 3D centric format. Whereas again, these industries, both mechanical engineering 
and AEC traditionally have been 2D drawing based. And you're mm -hmm. talking about the beginning of BIM 10 years ago or, or even more that that migration from 2D to 3D can be painful. But if you if you're adopting a file format as your standard of delivering these assets, that's that's 3D first. 3D centric, that's extremely powerful and kind of moving us forward and having the the truth that we build from B3D versus these 2D drawings. So that's that's a it's a long process, but it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. There is a classification of the BIM levels. You have BIM level one is when you don't share your data at all, just provide reports and invoices. BIM level two is when you exchange your engineering data. 2D or 3D, of course, uh, 3D preferred. And then BIM level three is when you exchange your data, but your smallest information level of information is an object instead of a file. And that changes a lot. Because when you, when you adopt BIM level three, it means you can propagate updates on specific objects only, or, or stories or zones. This information is, of course, 3D, but the 2D information could be derived from it. You base your knowledge on a database instead of a file. That's a big improvement. Of course, the first software vendors to implement it are rather platforms. Uh, they, they try to implement the whole life cycle and everything is based on their closed source information and standards. Any, no, no standard is used in that case. They just provide APIs. But you also see a new trend in, in those open standards to define what an object level information is so that you can exchange those information. And again, the information is about the concept, which has a 3D geometry attached and 2D projections. But the, the focus in, is on the concept. Is it a stair? Is it a railway? Is it a, a room, a heating room? And this concept has uh, properties attached, maintenance schedule or evacuation plan or uh, 3D geometry. But the focus is really on the concept now. The, the, it's reversed, whereas before we focused on what we could draw, to the drawing, first 2D, then 3D, and now we, it's more focused on semantics. Definitely migrating in that direction. More and more institutions are, are using the, a 3D-centric model. They're using this, this rich IFC data with these properties. You know, if you were to fast forward 10 years from now and uh -huh. see where where the industry has gone what would it look like i would like finally to have the three silos broken and linked the information management we see in plants which is very specific and maybe the oldest pnids uh, process flows and so on but that's that's the whole family of, of concepts and then you have a bim of course with ifc but other formats as well and then you have gis and that's the, the bigger kid in, in the blog because the size of the data is not the same at all. Not everyone is able to stream uh, tiles for now, for example. But the real challenge is to link the three way of implementing uh, information. In 10 years, if I would uh, make a wish, would be to have a, a software platform online, of course, to link GIS. So you're able to manage information at the size of the country or the continent. And then you zoom in, you are able to isolate roads, bridges in a specific district. And then you focus more and you have the water treatment plant and you have access to PNIDs of that water treatment plant. Once you have this level of information connections or connectivity, 
you can imagine some uh, impact analysis because we know that we will have to manage impacts, whatever the origin, but things will change. <laughs> Don't mention the climate or, or wars or whatever. We will need to adapt. So what's the, the goal of having such a high level of modelization for this information from a smallest pump or valve in the plant, broader uh, water treatment system or wellway in the whole country? Definitely to, to evaluate impacts. What if this specific tank or valve blows out. What's the impact? What is flooded? Which railway needs to be stopped because it's nearby? And so on and so on. These scenarios need this link between the three levels, plant, BIM, and GIS. So I wish it was ready. It would be ready before 10 years. I'd like it to, to be live next year, actually, but that's, that's a long road because it's, it, not only technology is involved, you need to change the way people work also. And also uh, local authorities need to change the way they look at data. And of course you, you can mention uh, privacy and uh, GDPR and so on. So that's a lot of challenges, but in, if you separate the challenges, if you take only the engineering side of it, linking the, the, these uh, three concepts or level of uh, concept would be really interesting. And it opens mm -hmm. a lot of doors. Yeah, because the information is there. They're just in silos. We want to, we need to bring it together. And then that gives us a tremendous amount of power, doesn't it? Absolutely. Once you uh, control who has access to what for what period of time and for which revision, that's again, the old PLM uh, concept at the rescue. Right. You know, we've been talking about different buzzwords, but they're there for a reason. We, we could say industry 4.0 and BIM and the digital twin, you know, another buzzword, and I don't want to get myself in trouble here that we have heard recently is the metaverse and these large companies, though, they're trying to figure it out. And a lot of it is focused on entertainment and gaming, but some of the concepts, they're trying to bring information together. Do you think that there is an opportunity to collaborate with some of the larger tech companies? to bring these digital worlds together? Or is that just, they're just on a different track? Is there any overlap between industry and, and what they're trying to do with these digital, these digital worlds? I can remember myself in a previous life, putting in a VR helmet on and we were in 2000. That's a long time ago. We were modeling the human being to, for the, the Canada arm. That's the robotic arm, which was on the shuttle to manipulate satellites. And we were using a VR at that time to make sure that everything was possible and to immerse the user inside the scene. Was it a metaverse or already 20 years ago, 22 years ago? I would say no, because we were using VR, but we were, we were alone in the scene. So in metaverse is about connecting worlds, actually. Like the web connects to REST APIs, it connects to different uh, data providers and consumers. So. Was it the metaverse? Not yet. Are we able now to create metaverse, uh, let's say connected, immersive wor uh, worlds? Yes. Is it a revolution? Mm, not sure. But if you add NFTs, if you add blockchain in a metaverse, that means you're duplicating or creating a, a digital world well, where you can force someone to use or to block someone outside of your digital property. And that's a different game. 
you're not there to contribute or to promote or to push data out. You are there to prevent someone to enter your land or he can he has to pay a fee and so on. You replicate the principles we use in the real life for the private property. And I'm a, actually, I would say that metaverse are very interesting when you have collaboration in mind. That's, I would say, yes. But I'm still afraid that they are used to prevent information exchanges and collaboration thanks to those uh, blockchains or digital locks. And that's a risk for me. That's interesting, and yeah. You can, you can like feel that I'm, I'm still biased toward the open standards, of course. Uh, when you don't monetize your data, you monetize the tool, but the schema you use to express your data is standard, and that's mm -hmm. not what you mm -hmm. sell. Yeah, that's a very interesting point about locking the data down as opposed to opening it up. That really does seem like it's been your focus. What else for our audience? You know, we, we have a number of users in this software field. They're doing building software for 3D engineering, for building and construction. Are there any, any other points that you'd, you'd like to share with our audience or, or ending thoughts that you'd like to make sure that we, we discuss before? I realized that we're still not done with the kind of problems, like I'm not sure we share all the data that is needed. I'm not sure we're working on the right data. I don't know if the data has been received. I feel my data is not secured. Those are longstanding problems and, and they're valid, whatever your domain. Would, it, would you be a mechanical engineer or a knowledge management, management engineer or a BIM manager? That's a new buzzword we didn't cover. BIM manager is uh, the guy in charge of putting the police hats and uh, rushing and, and, and trying to get the data on time and write data on time. It looks like the, the all-time secretary who was the only person in charge of uh, typing letters because the boss was not able to do that. But mm -hmm. it was a temporary. Of course, no, nobody uses someone else to write emails right now. So I think the same will happen with BIM managers. The way you master your data workflows will be, it, it won't be part of the job description anymore. It would be for a given. You don't ask someone to, to learn how to write emails. It should be for a given. And they, they learn it at the college level or before that. And I guess for, for BIM information or even PLM information, you're supposed to know how to make sure you have the proper data or the sufficient information, but not too much because the data is sometimes painful to manage because it's too big. You don't need that level of detail. But all those skills, which are the real answers to solving the problems I was listing with not up-to-date data and so on, I wish we could share those um, good practices among the different domains, because as uh, Techsoft is solution provider, as you mentioned, a lot of, of the users don't talk to each other because they don't know each other, because they're I'm dealing with built assets, but I'm not doing finite element analysis. I'm not doing trace analysis, but still those engineers deal with the same kind of problems I do. That's the beauty of PLM, trying to solve those problems. But mm -hmm. uh, I see that developing TechSoft as a, as a platform or industry-wide uh, solution provider is helpful because whatever the, the, the high-level tool we are building on top of it, we share the same uh, concerns, we share the same solutions. 
even if we don't share the same domains or a skill set, or we're still playing with Legos, but they are not the same Legos. There are still Legos as seen by, by TechSoft because you're another layer uh, providing everyone. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, we are excited to help you and, and the industry break down the walls of those silos. I think that's a great vision where how can we bring more of this information together and provide open access to it? Obviously, TechSoft, we're providing tools that allow software companies to build those, those software products. How can we learn more about IFC uh, as well as Eurostep? Where would we go? Go to Eurostep.com, the website uh, where we try to explain what we do and how we can help uh, our customers. Sylvain, thank you so much for, for talking about your journey, educating us on, on IFC and, and what's going on there, uh, indulging me a little bit, talking about the metaverse. You know, I think we covered a lot of great things today. Um, and, and thank you so much for, for joining us at Beyond 3 Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast, hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review, or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D. Beyond 3D.